Matthew, and uh, to preach to you out of Jeremiah. I, I told you that through this whole Revelation series and through just in my personal study life, just for me, um, while I've been reading through and preaching the book of Revelation, I've been doing the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> and the reason I did was because uh, Daniel, obviously, he prophesied the things that were going to happen, and he, he basically told the historical part of it and then laid out that that huge timeline of the 70 weeks, and we spent a lot of time on that. We spent about four or five Wednesdays talking about that timeline, you know, and uh, doing the math. Everybody remember the math that we tried to do, you know, <laughs> attempted to do? <clears throat> but then the other thing is um, we, uh, um, Jeremiah is where I started reading uh, all this summer and uh, reading it and looking at it because of Jeremiah being the prophet. Jeremiah was the prophet during the time... Daniel during the time that uh, the Babylonians came in and overtook uh, Jerusalem and stuff. Anybody, anybody know a whole lot about Jeremiah? I mean, we think we, we kind of do. You've read through Jeremiah somewhat, you know. <clears throat> if, if you read the book of Jeremiah, you understand that Jeremiah off the bat was, was a really humble person. He didn't have a whole lot of confidence in himself, but he found that all the confidence that he needed was actually found in God. Um, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet of the nation of Israel uh, in the 13th year of King Josiah. Everybody, anybody remember Josiah? Josiah, we probably remember him probably more than any of them because he was a good king <clears throat> that didn't, says he didn't turn to the right hand or the left hand. He did what God told him to do, but he also started at eight years old that uh, as a, he was ordained and as a king even at eight years old. And, but uh, in the 13th year of his reign, that's when uh, Jeremiah began to preach. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of Josiah. He was a prophet during the time of Jehoiakim. Uh, if you remember that guy, his, he also had another name uh, in the Old Testament called Eliakim, but uh, Jehoiakim. Uh, and then Jehoiakim, uh, and when he died, he had a son named Jehoshin, and we talked about that guy when we did the lineage part. You remember, anybody remember the hard thing that we did about the lineage of Jesus Christ and all that? <clears throat> we talked about him, and if you remember, the Bible says that he would never have a son, this, this other one, Jehoiachin, that he would never have a son uh, to ever sit on the throne of God, to sit on the throne, not of God, throne of Israel. And uh, so what happened after that was is that a king by the name of Zedekiah came in there. And I, I'm not trying to throw all these names. I know if I, if I was to say Steve and Donald and Bill and Susie, that'd be a whole lot easier. But these, these people are names that you really need to remember. They're, they're some names, especially when we're dealing with prophecy, when we're dealing with the book of Revelation, because uh, remember Jehoiachin, if we talked about him, we said that he had three names. He had that name, and then Coniah, and then Coniah. So you remember, we, and we said, <clears throat> why would he have had three names? You know, well, I've been known as Steve, I've been known as Taco, I've been known as Stevie, I've been known as Fatty Bread by my great-grandmother, um, which I'm not really fond of that one, uh, but been known as a lot of different names, and some of them I'm not going to tell you what they were. Uh, people have called me, but uh, this man was so evil. Uh, you, you look, you had this great king like Josiah. He had a great king, and, and Israel prospered uh, during his time because he led the people of Israel toward God. Uh, even Josiah was one that told his mother, went, went to his mother's uh, groves, actually, and the grove was to be the, the wooden gods, the false gods, and, and burned them, took them down. You know, and like, well, you're not going to do all this, and we're, we're going to serve God. Um, and so they found the word of God. They began to serve God with a greater uh, passion. But then when he died, you know, just as well as if you've read the book of Judges or you've read First uh, Second Chronicles and you see those things in the Kings, 
you'll see that when one comes in and there's this righteous move, Brother Ricky, of God, that then there's another one that comes in that, that, that has an evil, evil heart and doing things wrong. And so Jeremiah <coughs> was actually, uh, his, his ordination or his call to be a prophet was birthed in the good times of Israel. And so Jeremiah, as he was called in that 13th year of Josiah, it was, he was called in the good times. But even in the good times, in the blessed times of Israel, Jeremiah was so humble to say, Lord, I, I, I'm but a child. You know, I can't do these things. Jeremiah was not known as the weeping prophet in chapter 1 when he was called in that 13th year of Josiah. He wasn't called the weeping prophet then. It's not until later that we understand that Jeremiah became the weeping prophet. Jeremiah became the weeping prophet because he thought that he was not worthy enough, just as me, just as hopefully all preachers, really not worthy enough to carry that treasure in earthen vessels. You know what? When it comes to the salvation of God, there's nothing that we did to earn it. There's no merit that we could ever give or any kind of work that we could give to have that. When you stop and think about that for a moment, it really humbles you to know that when you are not worthy, God thought you were worthy enough to carry the gospel in this earthen body and in this earthen treasure. Amen. He, he chose not to give it to angels that were uh, angelic beings. He chose not to give it to uh, people of prestige, but he chose to give it to whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved, and the gospel of Jesus Christ will go into any person, and they can share the gospel. Amen. No matter how old they are or how young they are. <clears throat> so there's Jeremiah in chapter 1, and he's just... He's overwhelmed, and he, God says, look, I, I, I ordained you in your mother's womb. God used the, the, uh, the womb of his mother to talk about how, listen, I, I called you to do these things. I want you to know that my plan for you, and what it talks about that I ordained you in your mother's womb, it, womb it's not always talking about, okay, get this Calvinistic view where, Jeremiah could never reject that. Jeremiah could never walk away from that. What it was was God says that I had a plan for you. I have a plan for you. That's why, listen, everybody that reads Jeremiah, they only read one verse. Everybody that knows Jeremiah, they know one verse. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Everybody has it. They got it in car keys. They got it as stickers on their wall, stickers on their bumper. Everybody, they name churches after it nowadays because why? They look at Jeremiah and that's the one thing. You know, I have a plan for you. I, I've got a purpose for you. I've got this calling for you. But they don't look at the whole book of Jeremiah and understand that sometimes that purpose is difficult. Sometimes that plan that God has is not the exact plan that you think that you should have had in your life. Sometimes that plan that God has put out there in front and he has called you and ordained you from your birth because he wants you to be a great vessel so he can use you. Sometimes it gets difficult and it gets hard and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I want to lead you all the way up. Jeremiah, God told him he was ordained his mother womb. He talked about um, <clears throat> that he was called. Jeremiah chapter number 2 Jeremiah began to look around as Josiah has died, as uh, Zedekiah is king, and then as Jehoiakim and all these other guys, they're bringing this sinful thing in. Uh, his son, the one I told you about a while ago called Kaniah or Kanias, he's the one that God said, that is it. There will never, ever be a son of yours to reign on the throne. He was of the tribe of Judah. And we know that that's never happened all the way since. 
Until who reigns on the throne? There's only going to be one more that reigns on the throne, amen, the throne of righteousness, and that's Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's why we're bringing this together tonight from Jeremiah chapter 38 all the way into Revelation is what we're talking about. But Jeremiah chapter number 2, he begins to see something happening to Israel. And he begins to preach, and the messages that he begins to preach, I don't know about you guys that are called to preach. You know, when I first got called to preach, this is what I really thought. Everybody's going to love me. Everybody's going to be my friend. Every, everybody's going to listen to me. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to, when, I, when I got called to preach, I was at Rock Springs Church of God out towards Tuscaloosa and looking. I was uh, uh, on the remembrance, not on the remembrance table, but under the remembrance table over here praying. And uh, I can remember the way God called me to preach, knew that he was calling me to preach and had this idea that, you know, thousands were going to listen and stuff like that. And boy, I was, I was really naive. I, 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 I thought that everybody was going to like it. And I, I found out that not everybody likes it. Uh, not even all of my friends that I thought they're going to get saved tomorrow when I go tell them uh, what's happening to me. Not, not all of them got saved. Still, even now, some 27, 28 years later, some of them still have not given their lives to the Lord and stuff. And Jeremiah, I don't believe that he thought that he was going to be the best, but I don't think we ever think as a preacher or as a, a, a prophet of God or the prophet of the Word or a, a man of God in the Word, speaking the Word, that, that we're going to be delivering messages that sometimes are judgment messages. I don't think that when we start out preaching, when, we, when my first message I ever preached was Luke chapter number 8, the sower sowed the seeds. I mean, I was all about the gospel, you know, and the seeds is the word of God and falls on this ground. And listen, you may think, well, Brother Steve, you preach about 10, 15 minutes then. No, I preach 45 minutes in the end, just like I do now, you know, and uh, trying to grow that number a little bit more as I go. But... Um, <clears throat> I thought, you know, I'm going to stay in there. I would go and preach messages about uh, the, the woman that had the withered hand, the, the woman that was bowed over, the, all this stuff. And you preach all these great miracles and preach about Jesus, never knowing, listen, when you get through the whole word of God, you've got to preach that he's coming. Not just coming to get you, but he's also coming to have judgment upon this earth. But that doesn't make it easy. In Jeremiah chapter number 2, Jeremiah started seeing something of Israel. And you know what he preached? He said, you are cisterns without, you are, excuse me, you are broken cisterns without water. And what God began to show Jeremiah is that you're claiming to be these, these sources of refreshment. You're claiming to be this source of life to all of these other nations. But yet really and truly, you are a cistern or a well, a deep pit well that has no water because you're broken and you won't, it can't hold any. It reminds you a lot of Jesus' words about to the fig tree. He said that they had leaves on there but no fruit. And he said then nobody will eat any more on it. You remember? And so Jeremiah began to preach in chapter 6 of Jeremiah. And we're not going to go through all of Jeremiah. I'm trying to give you the Cliff Notes or the Steve Notes part of it. But Jeremiah chapter 6, you know what happened? Jeremiah begins to preach to them. And he said, you know what? He said, abomination and sin and iniquity. He said, it is so crazy in our nation. He said, I'm not talking about the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. I'm not talking about the other nations. He said, but in the nation of Israel, he said, sin, iniquity, and abominations are so rampant, so uh, prevalent in everything that we see. He said that you don't even blush anymore when you commit a sin. He said, you're supposed to be the people of God, holding the banner of God high. You're supposed to be the called nation of God that all people can run to to find grace and mercy and shelter and love and, 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 and uh, forgiveness of sins. And he says, and when you sin, you don't even blush anymore. Jeremiah said it like this. He says, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? Nay, neither did they blush. 
He said the women were presenting themselves. This is actually the word for word. He said women were presenting themselves, living the life of a prostitute, but not actually in prostitution. They were just dressing and acting like them because they wanted to fit in with everyone else. That sounds a whole lot familiar to things that are going on today. The church has become so wrapped up in this world that we have forgotten that we are not all citizens of this, but we are set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. And yes, while Jesus said, I'm not taking you out of this world, but I'm going to be with you because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that doesn't mean that we have to be and look and act and be culturalistic like the world. We're to be set apart. We're to look different. We're to talk different. I don't mean like, okay, whenever I stand in the pulpit, I need to change my voice to some kind of heavenly tone, you know, as a preacher of God's Word or anything like that. I'm talking about that we don't have to look like sin in order to help somebody get out of sin. Amen? Right? Listen, Jeremiah said, you don't even blush anymore. He said, you're so conditioned to it all that it doesn't even bother you. And that's just like us. Just like us. Jeremiah preached this message. It rocked on chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way into where you get to chapter 20 and chapter 21. Brother Craig, Jeremiah begins to go through a struggle in his life. Jeremiah begins to be that, Matt, that weeping preacher. And before long, these are the things he says to God. He says, God, it would have been better for my father to have never met my mother and brought me into this world. He said, was I brought into this world to preach this? And to see this and to be this. And what's going on in Jeremiah, he's saying, listen, Lord, I I am your prophet. And I know that you have ordained me from my mother's womb. And you see the connection from chapter 1 to chapter 20 or 21? The (coughs) the connection is, is that God said that I've had a calling on your life, son, since you were in your mother's womb. But then all of a sudden, Brother Reggie, he starts questioning that calling. Because he uses the same word that God gave him as a promise that I have called you and ordained you from your mother's womb. And now he's saying it would be better that my daddy had never met my mother and I'd never been born. Because why? Because Jeremiah is preaching like Noah. He's preaching. And none of you would understand it unless you're called as a preacher, pastor of the word of God. Some people understand it, but not all people understand it. But it's not easy to give those hard messages. It's not rejoicing to give Revelation chapter number 6 and all the seals opened up and all this junk coming out. It's not easy giving the message of Revelation chapter 8 and 9 and and these demons come out and you're preaching against the kingdom of Satan, the force of Satan. And listen, really and truly, he has no kingdom, he has no throne. He's got nowhere to go because the Bible says that God asked him in Job, where you been? He said, just walking around because I ain't got nowhere to sit. Amen. He's got no throne. He's got no place of rule or anything like that. He has spiritual wickedness in high places, but let me tell you something, he'll never have a throne. He'll never have an eternal throne. So the Bible says that Jeremiah begins to go through this, and he's saying, Lord, you know, he's just needing that reassurance from God. God, God, help me. Lord, speak to me. And Jeremiah began to preach about the woes, and he began to preach the message to Israel, and he began to weep, and he began to say, you're going down the wrong road. Jeremiah, if you back up to chapter 18, he said, Israel, he said, the father is a great potter and he's wanting to mold you. and He's wanting to make you into what he wants you to be so you can be a useful tool and a vessel for him and you won't let him. 
If you back up to chapter 17, there's a story of the two eagles and the, and the bent tree and stuff, and one is bending it one way, and God is trying to show them, listen, he's trying to maneuver you to go a certain way, and you just resist, and you don't want to do it. He's preaching the same kind of message as Brother Keith that Stephen preached, that Paul preached, that Peter preached. He's preaching the same kind of messages that I preach, that D.L. Moody preached, that Charles Spurgeon preached, those hard Things that you must share, even though it affects your feelings, you've got to do it. Now Jeremiah is finding what? More and more pressure in his life. If a man of God preaches the word of God, and you ladies stand on the word of God, your life, I'll tell you something, it's not going to be roses all your life. If you stand for the truth, it's not going to be an easy road. God did not promise that to you. God did not promise you all of this prosperity. Let me tell you what the prosperity gospel is. The prosperity is not monetarily. The prosperity gospel is true. What it means is, is that when we stand on the truth, we will be blessed by Almighty God. But you are going to go through trials and suffering. First Peter says, do not think that this fiery trial is to do what? To, to finish you or to hurt you or to, to diminish you at all. But it's to the trying of your faith. It's not going to be easy. You're going to stand before people, and you're going to share the word of God with people. It may be your family at Thanksgiving. It may be by the bed of a hospital bed somewhere. You're going to share the truth of God's word, and people are going to look at you different. People are going to treat you differently. People are going to act differently. They're going to walk away from you. Some people in your life, listen to me, they may even cuss you out and tell you to get the whatever away from me and do all those things. You say, well, Steve, why would God allow us to go through that? Listen, it's not you. That the battle is between. No, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness and high places and wicked places. There's a battle that's going on, and the battle that's going on is, is there's a demon that's fighting for the soul of that person as well as the gospel of Jesus Christ fighting for the soul of that person. And Jeremiah now finds himself in some trouble. He's preaching the word of God ever since chapter number 6, telling them that the Chaldeans are coming in, the Babylonians are coming in, and they are going to overtake Jerusalem, and they are going to destroy this city with fire and the houses with fire. And he said, and you're not going to be able to escape. You know what happens? Jeremiah really starts, when he's preaching, he's preaching, repent, 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 repent. And he's praying to God. And then all of a sudden, God tells him these words, church. He says, even if they call, I will not hear. And you look at that, especially in the modern day of passive preaching that we have today, and you go, oh, that, that can't be God. God's a mean God. God's a horrible God. No, 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 no. God has been calling. God has been wooing. God has been drawing and drawing and drawing. And God finally says, 70 years, and Jeremiah prophesies this, 70 years, you're going to go back into bondage. I mean, you came out of bondage of children of Israel after 400 years, and now you're going to go back into bondage for 70 years. And God says, and I'm not going to shorten it. I'm not going to say, okay, well, 35 or 33 is enough. He says, no, even if you call out and I hear your cries, you're going to fulfill these 70 years. You say, Brother Steve, that is just mean and hateful. Isn't it just like you as a parent that tell your child to go stand in that corner and you don't come out until I tell you to? Go to your room and you don't come out until I tell you to. Give me your phone and you can't have it. And you can't give me your car keys and you can't have it. And, and we do all those things, right? Why? Because we're hateful parents. We're mean and evil people. No, it's because we're trying to do what? We're trying to discipline them 
to bring them back to where they would what? They would want to do right in order to have what? The blessings. Have the blessings. Any parent in here at all say amen. Amen. Move something, blink, raise your eyes or something, you know. But Jeremiah now in, in chapter 37, we're going to be in 38 tonight, chapter 38. But in chapter 37, Jeremiah finds himself, as he's preaching this, that now people are talking about him. Now people are um, bringing up false accusations against him. There are some, Brother Brandon, that are saying that he is the Benedict Arnold of the Israelites. They're saying that he has made a pact with the Babylonians and what he's preaching. Because you know what he's preaching? He's te- I'm going to tell you what he's preaching. I've got to get to that. Listen, look at verse number 1 of chapter 38. Then Shephthi and uh, the son of Matan and Gedaliah the son of Pasher and Jucal or Jehucal the son of Shemaliah and Pasher the son of Malchi. Oh, man, I don't know why we had those hard names, but they do mean things. He says, they heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people. And this was the message that Jeremiah preached. It says, thus says the Lord, he that remaineth in the city shall die by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live, for he shall save his life for a prey and shall live. Look at verse 3. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Tonight I want to preach to you about the servant of a king. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Jeremiah was a servant. He was a servant of the Lord. His life was dedicated and devoted to do what? To preach the word of the Lord. Jeremiah didn't do as you and I, and we study Brother Adam or Matt or Dad or any other guys, any other you men that are pastors or preachers or whatever. Don't do like us Sunday school teachers, any of you men or you women that teach Sunday school, and we have a book that's printed out for us, or we go and look in the Bible and we search that. No, Jeremiah was on his knees before God daily, asking God, God, what is it? Speak the word to me, Lord. God, speak to me and your servant. Listen, I will tell them. I will do that. Jonah did the same thing. Jeremiah did the same thing. Isaiah, uh, Hosea, <coughs> all of them. <coughs> Lord, speak, and I'll tell them. And God told Jeremiah, said, listen, the king of Babylon, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, all of these other things, they're going to come in, and they're going to ransack Jerusalem. And God told Jeremiah, said, Jeremiah, you need to tell them that they need to go surrender. See, see Brian's putting them in timeout right now. Go, amen. Go ahead, Brian. Amen. But they've never heard us up there, probably. But they, <clears throat> he says, I want you to tell them that they need to go out and surrender themselves to the king of Babylon. Now think for a moment. you got an army of people. You, you, you fought battles against Jericho and other things in your life. Israelites, the walls of Jerusalem. All of those things. You know that there are people in there, Brother Bill, that probably think, well, no one could ever come through these walls and no one could do this. And, but yet they're thinking about the Babylonian people. And, and remember Babylon as it was like 15 miles by 15 miles by 15 miles, the walls of the city out towards the Euphrates and the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. It was huge. Um, think about that evil kingdom that was there, and they were destroying everybody. And all of a sudden, Jeremiah comes, and he's preaching and saying, everybody, you need to give yourself up and go surrender yourself. No wonder they thought he was a traitor. No wonder they thought he was crazy because, listen, his message was difficult. 
That's the first thing tonight, church. If you're looking at it, this is what God gave me, is sometimes the messages that we have, they're difficult. Sometimes life is hard and difficult. Sometimes the messages are difficult. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. He says, thus says the Lord, he that remains in the city, you're going to die. You're going to die by the sword. You're going to die by famine. You're going to die by the pestilence. What about the pestilence? Listen, it's talking about the bodies that are going to be laying in the streets and in the city and in the, in the gates all over the place as the, the animals, the rats, the other things come. He says, you're going to die by the sword. You're going to starve to death because the Babylonians are known for doing what? For choking off all of your supply. They're going to choke off your water supply. They're going to choke off your food supply so that you will come running to them. But let me tell you something. Jeremiah said this, but he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live for he shall save his life for prey. He's going to go into slavery and bondage for 70 years, but God's already said it's going to happen. But if you want to live, then you go and surrender yourself because you will live. Look at the next verse, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Twice in those scriptures, twice, in second verse and in the third verse, what's the biggest key that you see? Thus says the Lord. Jeremiah was not afraid. Jeremiah was not afraid to preach what thus says the Lord. Listen, there have been times in my life where God's given me a message. It may be on a certain topic. And all of a sudden, someone that has not been to this church in seven, eight years, on that Sunday morning, five minutes before I open up and crack the Bible open, they walk in. And you know what I do? God, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know that they're going to think I'm talking about them. You, you, you know that, and you know what God told me a long time ago as a young person, as a young preacher? He said, why would I give you a message and not give you an ear to hear it? Why would I give you a message if someone wasn't coming that needed to hear the word of God? See, church, we don't need no coward, yellow-backed preacher. We don't need, you don't need that. Those guys that are on the radio and they're blowing the trumpet, you need to thank God and you need to take time after you hear that warning to thank God and pray for them because we don't need some sissy tiptoeing through the tulips preachers. We need people that will preach what? Not what they think, not their judgment, not their condemnation, but thus says the word of the Lord. That's what we need. We need people that preach the Bible even if it makes people angry, even if you don't have friends let me say something to you. If you say you're a preacher and you only preach in order to bring people to you, you've got the wrong idea. You've got the wrong idea. We are not to bring people to us. When I die and they take my fat body and put it in that casket, people, I hope they don't walk by and go, well, I love Brother Steve, and oh, I, I'm telling you what, he drew me closer to himself. I hope that they all say, he helped me know Jesus a whole lot more. He helped me with an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope they know more about Christ on that day than they ever know any stories about what I did. Amen? Listen, the message gets hard and it gets difficult Jeremiah is right now in prison. He's in the courtyard prison. And the courtyard prison was this. They had cages that they would have or different rooms that they would have or doors with the bars in them. And people could come by, public square. Brother Craig, they could drill Jeremiah. They would go by and ask him all questions. And what did you say? And Jeremiah hung in there like a hare in a jack's biscuit. 
He hung in there and every time they came by and said, what's the message you've been preaching? And he said, I'm telling you that God said that if you go out and surrender yourself to them, you will live. But if not, you're going to die in here and there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be sword, there's going to be famine. Doesn't that remind you of a white horse, a black horse, a red horse, amen, and a pale horse, all of that? He's preaching the difficult thing. And now, listen, the second thing happens. Men are deceitful. Messages are difficult. But men and women, and listen, just because I put men there, it doesn't mean that we excluded any women from being deceitful. Okay? Just, yeah, only one man in here. He's not, he's not smart when he does that, but he's the only one in here. Everybody else is like, I'm not aiming in that. She's sitting right beside me. Men are deceitful. Humanity is deceitful. Look at what happens in verse number 4. The Bible says, Therefore the princess said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. Doesn't it? Isn't Jeremiah a lot like Jesus right now? They heard his words and they wanted to kill him. Let this man be put to death, for he, uh, excuse me, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war that remain in this city. See, they still thought that they were going to battle and they were going to overcome. They're weakening the hands of the men, look what it says, that remain. Some of them have already been killed. Some of them have already gone to war and have died. He said, they're weakening the hands of the, the, the men of war that remain in the city and the hands of all the people. How's he doing it? In speaking such words unto them. For this man seeks not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. They took a true message from God because it was not, thus says Jeremiah. It was, thus says the Lord. Verse 3, thus saith the Lord. It was not Jeremiah's. And they took truth. And what did they do with truth? They twisted it around and turned it into a bad and evil thing. They said, he's not telling you the truth, but what he's doing, and they're being deceitful, what he's doing is he's setting us all up to go out there and die in the hand of the Babylonian army. He's setting us up, and this man needs to be killed. He needs to be killed right now. But look at verse number 5. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything uh, against you. Zedekiah is what we call in our modern times today a yes man. He just agrees with everything. He really has no opinion. Let me tell you a little something about Zedekiah, and we'll go back to those kings. You remember Josiah, the king that was righteous and didn't turn to the right or the left hand, and Jeremiah called. Then we had Jehoiakim, and then we had uh, uh, Jehoiachin, or the Kaniah guy. You remember? And God said, no more will anyone reign on the throne of Israel until what happens, amen? Until that root of David, amen? Until the line of the tribe of Judah comes and does that. But what happens is Nebuchadnezzar takes Zedekiah, and he is the one that appointed him king over Israel. God didn't appoint Zedekiah a king. Because God didn't pick that, amen? Nebuchadnezzar picked him to be a king. So now what is he doing? He's just a yes man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whenever he needs to agree with somebody, he's a chameleon. He fits in with everybody. And he says, I can't kill him. You know I'm a king and I can't do something like that. And he's actually telling the truth because why? The word of God says, thou shalt not kill murder. You shall not shed innocent blood. And so they couldn't kill him. Anybody in here remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? His brothers took him out there to the sheep sharing time, right? Remember what they did? They took his coat. They killed an animal and put blood all over it. But yet they sold him to the Ishmaelites. Remember that? Why didn't they just go ahead and kill him? Because then they would have been wrong with God is what their thinking was. They were already wrong with God. 
But if they'd have killed him, they'd have really been wrong with God. You know what I mean? It's almost like Christians today to where they go, oh, we can do all of these things, all of these things, all of these things, all of these things, but we can't go right there. You know what I mean? And what you're doing is, is you're doing what Proverbs says. You're playing with fire in your bosom. And how can you play with fire in your bosom and not be burned? Amen. Right? Come on, y'all Wednesday people. I don't feel very good either. But when I get in the Word, I feel a whole lot better. Okay? That's why I'm not shaking your hand tonight, and I'm going to leave when we get through praying and keep my hands in my pocket, all right? Because I'm at 98.7%, all right? Listen, <laughs> I was trying to give a, you know, a relation to the temperature, but I'm good. Listen, uh, Zedekiah just said, I can't do that. So look at the next thing that happened, church. The Bible says in verse number 6, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek. That was in the court of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk into the mire. The third thing is this. Sometimes the mire gets deep. Sometimes the mire gets deep. And I'm not talking about just at the barbershop or at the beauty parlor. Stories get deep, and you got to roll your britches legs up when you go to places like that. Or we used to, you go to town market. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, but sometimes the mire gets deep. The Bible says that Jeremiah was in that court of the prison and in that area was a dungeon. That word translated is actually the Hebrew word not for <coughs> what we would think where the fire-breathing dragon, it, dragon is and Shrek and Donkey are trying to get them out, you know. No, it's talking about that it's a cistern. And a cistern in those days is like a well. Now what we do, we dig a well now, we dig a well pipe, we go down, put a pump, do all those things. But in a cistern, not a sister or a cistern, you know. Like, how you doing, cistern? Not that, all right, in the south. But a well, it would be teardropped. In other words, when they started digging, they would dig it wide at the bottom. But then when it came up, it would be teardropped because that way they could put something over the top of that well. When we were in Nazareth, they had this huge bedrock that was up on the hill behind. And then they had a cistern dug out right here. And all that water, Brother Bill, would run down that bedrock. <clears throat> when it ran down, they had a channel <coughs> excuse me, at the bottom and at the bottom of that channel, it would go and collect in there, and then it would just move over like a gutter. And before it went down into that well or that cistern, there was this hewn-out square that was probably about maybe 18 cubit, okay, 18 inches by 18 inches by 18 inches. And the water would go in there. And what would happen is, is all the sediments, all the rock, and all of a sudden, it would go down to the bottom, but that clean, good water would come up, and they'd pull this little bitty wooden block out, and it would go over and fill up the well. And then when they didn't want, when the well was full, they'd put the block back, and it would just run off, you know. And so Jeremiah preached to them and said, you are broken cisterns. He said, you, you don't have water in you. You're just full of mire and muck. And every time you look at mire in the Bible, it's always, always a representation of sin. Just like leaven, it's a representation. But mire is always a representation of sin. What did David say? He said that he pulled me out of the miry clay, you know, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And what he's talking about is that you can't get yourself out. The Bible says that these deceitful people said, we're just going to get rid of him. Why didn't they just go over there to the hole of that cistern? Why, Patty, didn't they just take Jeremiah and just kick him in? I mean, if you're going to kill him, just get rid of him. Right? Everybody in, in agreement? Watch these people that are agreeing with me. You've got to watch them. They may, they're bad people. But that's what they would... But see, being an Israelite, they were in that... That, that shows you the heart of this kind of people. 
this kind of people were doing things that would push the envelope with God to where they could say that they were really still righteous in God's eyes because they didn't kill him or shed his blood. But what did they do? They lowered him into that pit with ropes, and he sank in the mire. And what is their thought? You know what's going on? They're saying, he'll die. How's he going to die? He's going to die of starvation. He's going to thirst, and he's going to die of starvation and nourishment. These people's minds and their hearts are exactly like the Pharisees when Jesus said, your lips, your lips praise me, but your heart is far from me. We have a group of people today when it comes to sin to where people even classify sexual relationship only if you go to this certain thing. We had a president a few years ago that we had to define it to, right? Not only that, but even in drug and alcohol that we, we, we say we can go all the way up to this point, but we can't go past that point. Well, how do you know where that point is? How do you know that? What, what's the best thing to do, brother? See, leave the whole stinking thing alone. Stay away from it. Get away from the appearance of evil and just, just flee from it. Run from it. Amen? Joseph was one also that knew it. Remember? The Potiphar's wife. You remember whenever she was trying to woo him over and wanted to have an affair with him? What did he do? He said, let go of my coat so I can go. He said, no, you can have it. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? And that's what we need to do with sin. We don't need to push the envelope of sin because I'm telling you what you're doing is you're pushing on the tail of a snake and it will turn around and it's going to bite you and it's going to take you down in death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that's twice word for word in the scriptures, okay? Listen, the mire gets deep. So, Brother Steve, did Jeremiah sin? Now he's wrapped up in the mire. Did he sin? No, Jeremiah didn't do wrong. He was preaching what thus says the word of the Lord. But what I look at is this, is that Jeremiah, you remember he's weeping. Jeremiah, I, and if you get a chance, if you wanted to write it there, if, you, if you're writing stuff down, but Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, and Daniel chapter number 9. Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. I encourage you to read that this week and look at the ninth chapter of all of those three books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. They all pray in the same manner. They don't pray, God forgive them for what they have done, for they are all doing this. No, holy men of God like Daniel, a priest like Ezra, a priest and scribe like Ezra, sat down and plucked his beard out because he was broken about the condition of God's church and God's temple in that day. Listen, Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept and he fasted. It was They all took the sins of Israel, and they didn't blast everybody and go, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with the church, and I'll tell you what's wrong with them, and I'll tell you that all these people over here and the Southern Baptist and the Independent Baptist and the Church of God and all, they didn't do that. You know what they did? They spent their time praying and saying, God, we have sinned before you. We have committed abominations against you. We ask you to forgive us. See, the prideful Christian today will not include themselves in that. But I look at Jeremiah as they lowered him in the pit. That, listen, Jeremiah had been preaching that this is who they are. And now Sister Rhonda, Jeremiah has got an actual illustration in his life of what these people are going through. If there's anything at all, he has actually been placed in the shoes or in the pain and the suffering of the other people's sin. And it did not break Jeremiah and cause him to stop preaching. It caused him to be more passionate about it. It caused him to preach even stronger and even harder. Why? Because he realized the situation that they were in. How many of you know Jimmy Swaggart? 
Yeah, not personally, but you know of him, okay? How many of you know Jerry Lee Lewis? And then more people know him. Great balls of fire, right? You know, they were first cousins. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis wrote a song. You know what the song was entitled? Walk a Mile in My Shoes. And he was singing that song to his cousin, Jimmy Swaggart, who often in the pulpit ridiculed him and put him down in condemnation. And he said, when you've got the money that I've had and you've got the fame that I had, you walk a mile in my shoes. You know what I mean? And let me tell you something. You know what is good for preachers, what's good for Christians to do today? is to stop looking at the people in sin and talking to them in a condemnation way, a condemning way, but to look at them and think for one moment that if it were not for the grace of God, there you are. Look at them for one moment, one moment, and go, you know what? That young man that's 17 years old doing all those sinful things, that could be me. That person that's off and they're living under the brick, that could be me. You know what? Ask God to do that. And listen, you'll find out the mire does get deep. And sometimes, listen to me, as a preacher, I'm telling you this, sometimes even the ministry gets deep, gets hurtful, gets hard, it gets uh, <coughs> um, a struggle sometimes. But Jeremiah said the same thing, so don't get mad at me, okay? Jeremiah said the same thing. You know, Elijah said the same thing, and y'all think he's the greatest thing since Wonder Bread came out, you know? So they all said it, and I said it too, all right? I'm human, just like they are. But, like Jeremiah he said, if I was to stop preaching, he said, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones. He said, I can't contain this thing. I can't stop. You know, sometimes you may think, Brother Steve, that you're getting a little, you know, too firm, or maybe you're getting a little, the message is getting a little difficult. Just understand, it's not something that I just sit around and go, you know what, what would be a good message today to make people be quiet and squirm? And uh, that's not what I do. It's not what I do at all. No, I spent all night Sunday night begging God, God, give me a fresh word. God, give me a fresh word. Give me a fresh word. And God gave it to me, gave me this. Here's the last thing that I want to show you. I want to show you that this is probably the best part. We'll be here for about an hour on this. And uh, I want you to know that I'm not the smartest person in the whole world. Now that I knew that y'all are shocked by that statement. I know that some of you are really cut hurt really really deep on that you thought that I was so intelligent but I, I got to tell you that I had all this stuff the message is difficult and I do these things so you'll remember them not to impress anybody because I don't impress anybody <clears throat> but I said you know the message is difficult men are deceitful and uh, sometimes the mire gets deep but I'm gonna tell you I got hung up right here and I knew what the word I wanted to use was and I got my thesaurus out anybody know what the source is not a dinosaur but they're old. <clears throat> I got my thesaurus out, you know, and I was looking up words, and I asked my son, Andrew, who is a whole lot smarter than I am, especially in English. I said, son, I said, what is a good word for help or rescue or salvation that starts with them? And he immediately, right off the bat, went, well, I was going to use mentor when you said help, but then you use those other two, and I'm going, man, you're so smart. You're just, just like your father. <laughs> and I looked down, and the only M word that they had was mitigation. And this is what I said. I said, God, they'll never believe I came up with that. They know that I'm too dumb to choose a word like that. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I don't I mean mitigation, arbitration, litigation. I was like, I don't know what that word means. But I found out. I want you to look with me in the last verses. Look at verse 7. Now, 
when Ebed Melech, <coughs> some people call him Ebed Melech, says when Ebed Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon of the cistern, the king then sitting in the gate at Benjamin or of Benjamin. Listen, Ebed Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake unto the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet whom they have cast in the dungeon of the cistern, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Here's the yes man, verse 10. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Oh, okay, take hence, you know, from hence 30 men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. You know, you want to look at him and go, Hey, dum-dum, you're the one that told him to put him over there. But he's a yes man. He doesn't really make an impact at all in his life. As a matter of fact, he ends up wandering off in captivity. And you never hear about Zedekiah anymore. He's a yes man. Doesn't make a difference. This guy comes and he finds the king at the gate, Benjamin. And he says, king, he pleads with the king. He says, listen, what they did to Jeremiah, those four princes, those guys we mentioned in verse number one, what they did to Jeremiah, that's wrong. It's evil. Jeremiah was preaching the truth, and Jeremiah was trying to help us, and we need to get him out of there because he's about to die right now. So evidently, Jeremiah had been there for a while. Church, think about it. I want you to put yourself in this position. He had been in that mire or that sand, that quicksand. Now, we don't know. We don't know if he was up to his ankles, up to his knees, up to his waist, up to his stomach, <coughs> his chest, or his neck. We do know this, though. It couldn't have been the ankles because the Bible says that he sunk into it. Okay, so he wasn't getting out. There was no climbing out of there. So Jeremiah is there with him in the presence of God, and that's it. And he is withering away. And Ebed-Melech says it's not right. It's not right that they did this. So look at verse number 11. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to the house of the king under the treasury. Ebed-Melech said, hey, wait, before we go over to the pit, to the cistern, the Bible says that he went over to what? Went over to the king's treasury underneath the treasury. So what is that that he did? Under the treasury to the house, he went to the wardrobe of the king or he went into the area where he was a servant of the king. The Bible says it was Ebed-Melech, an Ethiopian, what? The servant of the king, Zedekiah. So he goes over there into the wardrobe, not the, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from Narnia. But he goes over to the wardrobe, and what does he do? He's getting something. I love it when people do that. Don't you love it when people go, hey, we're going to go somewhere, and then they go, I'll be right back. I got something good. You know what I mean? That may mean peanut butter cake. Huh? That may mean some kind of like new fishing pole or something. You know, I, I'll be right back. I've got a new lure. And I'm like, yes, amen. Listen, Ebed Melech went over there underneath the treasury of the king, and the Bible says, look what he took out. He took... <laughs> Bent old cast cloths and old rotten rags. That word means old garments and old rotten rags. Old servant clothing. When Jesus girded himself with a towel, Brother Craig, the towel was a servant's towel. And the servant's towel that he girded himself with, it would be old rags, pop, that they would take and cut them and then tie them together in knots. We do it now and give them away at Christmas for blankets. You know what I mean? And, but they, it was a servant's towel. What would a servant's towel do? It'd wash feet, wash tables, and wash hands. Jeremiah was about to be shocked by an Ethiopian man by the name of Eved Melech. The Bible says he took those old cast cloths and old rotten rags and he let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Brother Matt, he tied those old rotten rags and that old servant's wardrobe. And he tied it onto the rope and he lowered it down like that. And the Bible says that Ebed-Melech told him. It says, um, 
uh, verse number 12, And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clots and old rotten rags under thine armholes, under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with the cords and took him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison, up in the top again. And what <coughs> That word in the Hebrew where it says, put it under the armholes, it actually means put it under the joints. And there's some people that say that it was, they were, that Ebed-Melech was telling Jeremiah to put it under the joints of the knuckles right here. And what he was saying was, say, like, Jeremiah, wrap these things around your hands, man, and hold on to that rope. Why? So it wouldn't cut through you, and so it wouldn't hurt you, and wouldn't, wouldn't cause you any pain or anything like that. But the Bible says that Ebed-Melech said that Jeremiah was about to die right now, and we've got to get him out of that hole. So there's no way that he had any physical strength, Brother Matt, to wrap those things around his hands and to actually pull but that's why the translation of armholes or in other bibles armpits it was saying listen jeremiah my friend the prophet of god i love you take those old rags and put them up underneath your arms and then put the ropes underneath that why so it wouldn't cut into him he cared about him he loved him you know what he was being he was being gracious to Jeremiah. And the mitigation is dumbfounding. And you say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? The word mitigation means this. The action of reducing severity, seriousness, or painfulness of something. Ebed-Melech. Four times, what did it say about Ebed-Melech? It didn't say Ebed-Melech, but it said what? Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian. Four times. God's not trying to point out that he was a man from Africa and that he was a black person at all. And, you know, I shared this with some pastors this week and with a, with a black pastor friend of mine. I said, God wasn't interested in that. He don't care about skin color. I said, what God was pointing out was Ebed-Melech was an Ethiopian. He wasn't even of the house of Israel. He didn't know the promises and the covenants of God. He didn't have all of those hopes. And he shouldn't have cared about the prophet of Israel as much as all of those people out there that threw him in the pit. That's what he was saying. He was saying, Ebed Melech, an Ethiopian, or as Jesus said, a good Samaritan. Amen? The Levitical priest walked by the man, but the good Samaritan, amen? And the Israelites, when Jesus said good Samaritan, listen, they said, hey, Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But when Jesus called him a good Samaritan, he said, now I know he's a liar. There's no good Samaritan. That's the way they thought. But Ebed Melech, and God said, a Gentile. A Gentile cared more about the prophet. You know what Jesus said one time? The Bible says he was eating supper one night. The Bible says a woman came to him and she said, Lord, have mercy on my daughter for she's grievously vexed with the devil. And he turned around. She was a Syrophoenician woman. You say, what in the world is that? Gentile. A woman that could not claim rights to the promises given to Israel. And she said, God, help me. Lord, help me. And the Bible says Jesus looked at her brother Bill and said, I have not found in all of Israel a greater faith than yours. Jesus said, I've been coming searching for three years for fruit and found none, right? He said, I've searched and searched and find no grace, no mercy, no truth, but Ebed-Melech. Do you know what the word Ebed-Melech means? You know, I, I, we, we named Andrew, Andrew, because we looked in the Bible, and it says that Andrew the disciple brought people to Jesus. That's why we named him that. Now, we may have falling on the Jacob thing a little bit, but let me explain why we named him Jacob. Jacob means supplanter, sneaky, conniving. It fit. It fit. It really did. But the reason that we named him Jacob is because I knew the end story of Jacob. 
I said, Brother Steve, why didn't you name him Israel? Because when we get into the hall of faith over here, Brother Craig, they don't call him Israel. But it says Jacob leaned on his staff, worshiping God. You know why? Because an ordinary Jacob may grow up to be a great man, an extraordinary man of God. They have meaning. Their names have meaning. I mean, we didn't get it out of the Piggly Wiggly line of thousand names you can call your baby. Now, if you did that, I'm not knocking you, but I mean, names mean something. <laughs> names mean something, don't they? Steve, Steve means crowned one. I never knew until I got bald that it means that my crown would show all the time. It means crowned one. It means a servant of the king, you know. Ebed-Melech, Ebed-Melech. You know what it means? It means servant of the king. Ebed-Melech took some old rotten rags, took some old servant towels, and he showed himself to be a servant of the king. Did you know that truly, we don't even know if his name is Ebed-Melech? We really don't know if it's, that's his actual name because it actually says he's a servant of the king. Now think for one moment, we'll leave, we'll close. I got two minutes with you. <coughs> a man from Ethiopia that's brought in to be a servant of the king may not ever have his own name, may have not ever known his name, but is just known as a servant of the king. Ebed-Melech means that. But see, Ebed-Melech, when he did this, he wasn't serving Zedekiah. Ebed-Melech wasn't serving Jeremiah. But Ebed-Melech was actually and truly a servant of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He was gracious to the prophet of God. When they pulled him out, he mitigated the pain. He didn't allow any of the pain to hurt him. Amen. Stop for one moment. When you go home tonight, think about who the, the Ebed Melech's in your life are. Don't go home and just go, oh, well, it's good. Ebed Melech's a good guy. Think about who they are for you. Can I tell you about one and I'll go, we'll leave. In, in Quitman, Mississippi, I preached a revival at East Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. Dr. Albert Creel was the pastor. Dr. Creel, this is in the woods. Dr. Creel was not only a doctor of theology, but he was a butcher by trade. Scare you half to death. You better get saved. Because the first time I met him, he had blood all over that coat. And I was like, I am in the wrong place. <clears throat> Dr. Creel said, Brother Steve, after you preach tonight, he said, I want you to get a good night's rest. I said, all right. He said, we're going to put you back here in the prophet's chamber and you know, if you need to go out, you can go out the back door and the cemetery's right there. I said, I appreciate all the accommodations, you know. <clears throat> said, but in the morning, Sister Pearl wants to make breakfast for us. And I said, okay. I, I, didn't, I never, when I was in evangelism, never stayed at like the Howard Johnson or the Hiltons or none of that stuff. I stayed in campers in Louisiana that were like swamped over by mosquitoes and stuff. And I was happy to get wherever I could go just to preach. And... Uh, said, Sister Pearl wants to cook breakfast. I said, all right. And he said, no, I need to explain a little bit to you about Sister Pearl. I said, right. he said, she's a widow. She's church of God, but she can't drive anywhere anymore. And so she's stuck coming to our church, which is the Baptist church. And I said, well, God will do great things to get them here, you know. <clears throat> he said, she loves the Lord, and she's going to talk to you about Jesus. I said, that's great. And we go over there, and this 70-year-old lady made breakfast, and... Um, she sat there and watched us eat breakfast. She wouldn't eat. You know, and I get nervous on stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just that way. You might be killing me or poisoning me. She just sat there. Man, never said a word. Me and Brother Albert's talking, and she just watched. And when it was finished, 
She said, are you done, son? I said, yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. You know, I, I, I blowed it all up and told her how good it was. She said, it's my turn now. And I was like, okay. And I pulled the, the, the seat back, thought she's going to sit down and eat. She said, no, 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 you come with me. I'm like, okay. Brother Creel just said, let's go on. And we walked out into the woods in her backyard, equipment, Mississippi. And there was this tree that, that went up about three feet in the air. It took a left turn, and somebody fixed it again, and it went back up. And she said, get up there and sit down. And I sat up on that tree, and she took my shoes off and grabbed a hold of my feet and started praying for me. She said, God, wherever this young man preaches your word, let it be prosperous. God, use him. Use him to the fullest, Lord. She prayed and prayed and wept and prayed. And I sat on that tree crying, 19 years old, crying like a baby. And I was like, God, what in the world? And I reached down, Brother Bill, when it was over, and I picked up a rock, stuck it in my pocket, and I brought it home. I had it in a shoebox and kept it and put it on my rock altar that I had. And you know what? Always, she's gone home to be with the Lord now, and so is Brother Creel. But always, I go back to an Ebed Melody. That when I thought nobody cared to hear a 19-year-old preach, and nobody cared to come at invitation time, and Ebed Malik said, here's some good food, and I'm going to be gracious to you, and I'm going to mitigate all of that mire and that pain that you go through and the brokenness, I'm going to pray for you. You got some Ebed Meleks, and you need to go home and write them down. Put them in your Bible, and when you get to thinking about all that mire that's kind of choking you around, you need to bring it out every now and then and start praying for them and thanking God for the people that were gracious to you. And you know what happened? It had dumb found you. It had dumb found you. Some of those people, you never even thought they even cared about you, and it's awesome. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I love it.